0: University of Chicago professor Wendy Doniger and stage director Peter Sellers are backstage at Lyric. You
1: can
2: see it's a, see lot, it's of a lot of blame culture in yeah. this family. You know, On
1: and on and on. Yeah. It's like a chain reaction. They've all done things to each other. And
2: you watch people it's- truly suffering from blame, mm-hmm. self-blame and blame. You, you just watch the, a group of people who don't function well because of their mm-hmm. genuinely low, mm-hmm. deep self-hatred.
0: It's painful. And Handel sets it so powerfully. Thank you for downloading this episode of Backstage at Lyric. I'm Roger Pines of Lyric Opera of Chicago. We'll be playing an audio transcript of the Discovery Series session that anticipated this season's Lyric premiere of Handel's Hercules. For those of you who may not be aware of Lyric's Discovery Series, it's panel discussions featuring singers, conductors, directors, and scholars— We do one session per opera, and they usually take place a few days prior to the opening of each production. The Discovery Series is open to the public. You can check out our website at LyricOpera.org for dates, tickets, and complete Discovery Series information. We include all the Discovery Series sessions as part of the Backstage at Lyric podcast. And now on to the Discovery Series discussion devoted to Hercules. I'm the moderator for this session. My guests are internationally celebrated in their respective fields. Wendy Doniger, today's preeminent authority on mythology, is Mircea Eliade Distinguished Service Professor of the History of Religions in the Divinity School of the University of Chicago. Peter Sellers, Stage Director of Hercules and Director of three previous Lyric Productions, most recently Dr. Atomic is one of the most innovative and powerful forces in the performing arts in America and abroad. I know you'll find tremendous food for thought in the discussion between Mr. Sellers and Professor Doniger. I hope you enjoy it. I confess to being totally intimidated by the intellects of our two extraordinary guests. No doubt I will ask one question and then just listen (laughs) along with all of you to revelatory ideas and insights that will prepare all of us to receive everything Hercules has to offer. Wendy Doniger has long been recognized internationally as one of the most impressive and influential scholars of our time at the University of Chicago, she is Mircea Eliade Distinguished Service Professor of the History of Religions in the Divinity School. She's also a member of the university's Department of South Asian Languages and Civilizations and Committee on Social Thought. Her research and teaching interests revolve around Hinduism and mythology. She's lectured extensively worldwide. The selected list of lecturers in her CV numbers more than 125, each lecture having been presented in a highly prestigious venue. She's written 16 books. Among them are The Hindus and Alternative History, Hindu Myths, a Sourcebook, The Bed Trick, Tales of Sex and Masquerade, Splitting the Difference, Gender and Myth in Ancient Greece and India, a translation of the Rig Veda, and the woman who pretended to be who she was, myths of self-imitation. She's written a memoir and also a novel with a wonderful title. It's called Horses for Lovers, Dogs for Husbands. (laughs) I've read that as a teenager, she studied dance under Balanchine and Martha Graham, that she was a summa cum laude graduate at Radcliffe, and that after receiving her master's degree at Harvard, she spent time doing research in Moscow and Leningrad before earning her doctorate at Oxford University. That's why I'm intimidated. Okay. Peter Sellers is returning to Lyric to direct Hercules, having scored memorable successes with the company with his productions of the Mikado, Tannheuser, and most recently, during the 2007-2008 season, John Adams's Dr. Atomic. Mr. Sellers is one of the most innovative and powerful forces in the performing arts in America and abroad. Following his iconic stagings of the Mozart da Ponte operas in the 1980s, he established a reputation for bringing 20th century and contemporary operas to the stage. He's guided world premiere productions of works by Kaya Sarriaho, Osvaldo Golihoff, and Tan Dun. And he's been a driving force in the creation of many works with his longtime collaborator John Adams, including Nixon in China, The Death of Klinghoffer, El Nino, Dr. Atomic, and A Flowering Tree. He directed the Met's first production of Nixon in China earlier this season, and this summer he'll direct Vivaldi's La Griselda at Santa Fe Opera. He's also staged productions at Gleinborn, Netherlands Opera, the Opéra National de Paris, the Salzburg Festival, and San Francisco Opera, among many other venues. His updated Merchant of Venice created a sensation at Chicago's Goodman Theater. He's a professor in the Department of World Arts and Cultures at UCLA and a resident curator at the Telluride Film Festival. He's received a MacArthur Fellowship and many other major honors. So please join me in welcoming to our Discovery Series, Wendy Doniger and Peter Sellers. Now, this piece is new to all of us, uh, here at Lyric Opera, and so I think it might be a good idea just to do the story in a nutshell. And I'll keep my fingers crossed that this is okay. Oh my God! It's are you so, sure? It's so complicated. No, uh, are you sure,
2: Roger? You want to do that?
0: Yeah, we got to tell people the story. All right, uh, very quickly. Could I do that? By all means. Would that be all right? Absolutely. Or do
2: you have a version that you want to do? I have.
0: I have a little version, but go ahead. <laughs> uh just because I want to make
2: sure. Um, <laughs> you know, basically, really, it's a very old story. Uh, it's uh, a myth Sophocles treated uh, already in the 5th century, and Hercules, the world's strongest man, returns home from a war and, of course, a bunch of labors because not only is he the world's strongest man, but the world's strongest man is ironically a slave. And... He's comfortable on the battlefield and victorious, and he comes home to a battle he doesn't know how to fight. And the welcome home with his wife is what's difficult. It's been diagnosed now in our age as post-traumatic stress syndrome, (laughs) but it's when people go through unbearable, life-changing experiences without their partner. And the actual toll on both sides of the relationships are something that we now know has led to the highest suicide rate in the U.S. Army right now in our own time. The stress on both partners in both directions, the inability to be honest or not know what honesty would be, and the unrealistic expectations on both sides through the separation, through the yearning, through the difficulty. It's complicated by the fact that he's bringing home a prisoner of war who in one version he's been having elaborate sex with uh, and in fact the last war was just fought so he could take her as his concubine and he brings her into the living room with his homecoming and the wife who's been waiting for him in mourning is pretty upset. Uh the and we'll get into this there are several versions because like a myth the myth is constantly being retreated and reimagined over and over again and one of the interesting things about this evening is we're doing Sophocles 5th century Athens Handel the age of enlightenment and today which I'm not going to characterize and so you can see the myth treated simultaneously when all these through all these different frames. And in any case, he brings his new girlfriend home, and uh, the homecoming is a disaster.
1: Well, but she's not his new girlfriend in the Handel version, right? Well, in Ovid and in Handel. Yes. It's uh, his son, Hylas, who has got a crush on this new girl, and he's pure as the driven snow.
2: It's, in... it's an interesting thing. The 18th century absolved him completely. <laughs> And, oh, but so did Ovid. And, so and so did, did Ovid. So did Ovid. And mm-hmm. Sophocles wanted to make a special point of how, how it was a very big deal and a very big relationship. Mm-hmm. In any case, the woman comes back, is brought into the living room in chains. And it's a bit shocking. Uh, the Dejanira, his wife, and Hercules need some time to find each other again. And the opera is about trying to locate the person you loved for both of them. And is that still possible? And meanwhile, while you've been separated, you're looking for clues because neither person will say what they really mean. That is to say, Hercules, like most military people, and for this project I've been interviewing veterans for the last month here in Chicago from World War II on. And you get immediately from most veterans this anger that civilians don't know shit. And you ask each veteran now, what did you write home in your letters? Nothing. <laughs> and but, you-, you know, but,
1: but she's angry too. I mean, in both in the Sophocles <laughs> play and in, in, in the uh, Handel aria, the first thing you hear is Deionera, the wife... Saying how miserable she is, how unhappy she is, um, because he's been gone so long, he's never there, he doesn't even know the, in in Sophocles, she says he doesn't even know his kids, he's not home enough, long enough to see them, so, her suffering, you see, I think, unlike Mr. Sellers, I think this opera should be called Dejanera. I don't think it should be called Hercules. Or okay. it should be called Dejanera and Iole. It's about the women. Oddly enough, he didn't see that. But, um, um, and it's about how, how much suffering Dejanera has had. And at last he comes home and she's so glad to see him. And then there's this girl. And in this version, uh, he hasn't had anything to do with the girl, but the girl is young. And in Sophocles, she says, I'm afraid I'm like, uh, she's like a young bud and I'm like an old rose that's, that's blown. and he's going to kick me out for this younger girl. So even when she has no reason to believe he's actually been sleeping with her, that's what he's got and, and she's grown old waiting for him and that's. That's what I think the opposite. about. No,
2: and and again Sophocles' original play that the Handel Oratorio is based on is called The Women of Trachis. Sophocles, who was himself a general who served 3 tours, did not call his play Hercules Comes Home. Mm-hmm. He called his play The Women of Trachis because he wanted to focus on the particular suffering of the women and the toll that the war takes not just on the people who went, but on the people who stayed.
1: And in Handel, too, Hercules has, what, three arias?
2: And Dejanara has about ten.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and An Iole who's totally silent, doesn't say a single word in the Sophocles play, has the most beautiful arias in, in the Handel
2: And it's shocking she will not shut up.
1: <laughs> and <laughs> She's been silent for 2,000 years, you, right? You,
2: about, <laughs> a, a, and you want to say to her, her, you know, this is a lovely senate. Sentiment, this is perhaps not the moment. Uh, <laughs> and she just keeps going. In any case, uh, just to make short work of the plot summary, sorry about that, Roger. Uh, just, But that's, why, that's a little bit why I intervened, because just describing the plot is already a charged thing to do. And those of you who know some of my work, one of the m- most important things to me in my stagings is I really... The thing I mostly hate about opera is the plot summary at the beginning of the night mm-hmm. as if that's what any of us are doing you know and or indeed as if the biography published about you represents one thing you actually did or cared about you know in fact none of our lives fit in the plot summary it's everything else that counts mm-hmm. and so what i've had to do is stage this with sophocles being true ovid being true handel being true and what we know from veterans and their families today, all being true. And of course, the only way you can do that is music is the most capacious art form. And it actually allows multiple truths to coexist. And that's the richness and beauty in the night is at the end of the night, I don't think any of you seeing it would make the same plot summary. I'm hoping that all of the plot lines are activated and just like best friends of the couple having a crisis, everyone will disagree on what caused it. No. You know, you there will be space for everyone to have a different diagnosis of what happened in this marriage. But just again, to go back to the thumbnail for a moment, uh, Hylas is Hercules' son, who grew up with, of course, with his father as a giant hero and a permanent inferior inferiority complex. And one thing that can be said about Hercules is he does not know how to give or to receive or to accept love. And so his son is definitely uh, a result of that. And his son is a deeply unloved and person who feels neither worthy of love nor worthy of being a hero. And so every footstep he takes is charged with fear and self-doubt. And his father has never had a moment of self-doubt in his life, which is the crisis in Handel, Mm. because you have one person who has no self-doubt, but Hercules has only three arias. But my theory is that's because like many military men, it all goes up behind this stone wall where he's not going to talk about what he's seen, what he's been through and what he's done. And even the so-called heroic generation who came back for World War II, they didn't talk about it. They invented 50s culture, which was shutting up in the 3 martini lunch.
1: And When Hercules does talk, he talks a lot. It's his pain. He talks when he's in agony at the end. That's right. his long, long soliloquy is describing how he's being torn up by, by, the, by the flame of the garment that... De Janeiro has sent to him
2: yes, now, just to return to the plot for just one moment uh, what 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 ultimately happens in in Sophocles while uh, Hercules is dying, he commands Hylas to take his concubine and marry her, which is kind of shocking uh, The opposite happens in the handle uh. Hylas is falling in love with this new woman, the refugee, of war. She won't
1: have him because she hates him because he's the son of Hercules whom she hates who killed her father. Because Hercules killed her father, who's the only man she's ever really loved. There's the most beautiful Aria in the whole opera, is how she sings of her sadness because her father has died. So that's the first expression of love you hear in the Well, opera. you have
2: literally Hercules entering and not singing an Aria, which mm-hmm. is shocking, because he will not talk about what he's mm-hmm. seen. And right away she starts singing about watching her father die and she's having these flashes and she relives it twice in a row. Like she has one flash and sees her father dying and then Handel repeats it again immediately. She sees her father die all over again. And so again, these questions of post-traumatic stress syndrome and what it means when an image haunts you over and over and over. Or as one Vietnam pilot said, Last week, you know, when somebody asked him when, when he served in Vietnam, if he would say the real answer, it would be last night. You know, it's that these, you don't recover from these things. They go forward with you your entire life. So Handel has her relive the trauma of her father's death all over again, while Hercules is completely silent. And so you get these two responses to war trauma back to back, in the opera And then Hercules sings The god of battle quits the bloody field And he sings the word blood Bloody With these huge melismas Where you hear the sound of pain You hear all of this pain That's flowing through his body and his mind But he can't share it with his wife In any case The first act ends With a giant course about jealousy And And uh, I think the 18th century thought it was Dejanira's jealousy, but Mm -hmm. I've put Hercules on stage also because I think it's both partners who, when you suspect someone, when you haven't seen them for a long time, when you don't know how to react, you're reading every signal Mm -hmm. negatively. You're certain that something's wrong, but you're not certain what is wrong, and so you keep reading everything negatively.
1: And he doesn't appreciate her. She, she says to him, I think you've been sleeping with Eileen. He says, you're wrong. And he thinks that's, that's the end of it. Right. That's all he has to say. It's and, not true. Let's talk about something else. Right, And, he and, so, lies, and the jealousy just festers right. in her. And he lies to her remember. face. Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, just point blank. And mm-hmm. says, I think you have a problem. I am going to go to another award ceremony. And when I come back, your problem better be fixed. Mm-hmm. You know... Everyone else around here is honoring me. You know? And so you get... And meanwhile, everybody is doing a lot of self-medicating. And so um, there are... In the Greek and uh, and in the handle, there are a lot of drugs. There's a lot of mind-altering substances and fluids and so on. It's all vapors and strange oracles. and There's, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't meet the eye and would not be reported in the newspaper. And you walk... Then there's the
1: the greatest drug of all is the drug that she got from the central. Well,
2: so then, (laughs) when we get to a really dark place and they're finally no longer speaking and there's a kind of implied violence that it almost went to an extremely physically dangerous place, as well as psychological, she sings an aria that is one of the most terrifying things Handel ever wrote. Cease ruler of the day to shine. She asks the sun to no longer shine. And she says, I want Hercules and myself to be sealed in endless darkness. And she repeats it and repeats it and repeats it. And then finally the aria ends, and she says, some better spirit should accompany me, please. (laughs) She says, I really can't go there. I mean, she sees, and I think it's one of the most moving things about this portrait of a woman on the edge. She constantly, in her deepest depressions, corrects herself, says, no, I can't go there. I want to love him. I do love him. I want us to be together again. And so she goes and buys him a very beautiful beautiful coat.
1: She made it herself in, in South. Oh clothes, yeah, well right? this is North
2: Face. Yes. Um, oh, but 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 it's exquisite. North
1: Face doesn't send, sell a coat that's impregnated with well, no, the drug then what she, that no. makes the man you throw it on fall in love with. Right. The law, so right? That, what she does. Not available in the I Chicago show area. I yeah.
2: stage the Sophocles mm-hmm. in this case, mm-hmm. and you watch her rub this ointment into the coat, into the lining, and it's it was uh, blood from a jar that was given to her by the centaur Nessus. Now, this will not be in the supertitles, so it will tell you tonight. Mm -hmm. Nessus was a, a, a satyr who was attempting to rape her one day. Hercules came along and shot him with an arrow while he was attempting to rape her. And as he died, he whispered into her ear, preserve my blood it will work as a potion to revive vanished love. She's held this blood in the pantry all these years (laughs) and in a little Starbucks coffee vessel (laughs) and she takes it out and she rubs it into the lining of this jacket and gives it to Hercules Tribune and say, get this to him before the award ceremony begins. I want him to wear this. He will look wonderful. And it is a token of reconciliation. So their best friend leaves for the award ceremony with this coat to give to Hercules. As he leaves, she looks back at the wool rag that she used to rub in the serum. And it is smoking and burning and becomes a charred piece on the ground in front of her.
1: And at that point in the Sophocles, she says, you know, why would the centaur who hated me and hated Hercules give me something to help me? Uh, uh <laughs> I think I've made a serious mistake. Yes, that would be that. Oops, she says, I think I've killed my husband instead of revived his love. And, and what so happens there is,
2: is a la- both in Sophocles and in Handel, a large curtain comes down. And, and we hear terrifying music Of nightmare struggles And then calm And then nightmare struggles And then calm And then nightmare struggles And then calm And the man who gave The garment to Hercules Describes what happened As Hercules proudly in the ceremony Put it on And the poison began seeping through his veins And the, th- the coat itself merged with his burning flesh and he struggles to take it off but he can't, he's ripping his own body open burning alive and the way Handel sets that is incredible he has Hercules burning alive in front of your eyes but he's burning with rage he's burning like many vets in an anger that has never, ever, ever been dealt with all his life. And it is it is his own rage which he's been burning in from day one. And finally, nothing can protect him from himself and from the rage that's enclosed in this jacket. And you watch this man burn in his own anger. Meanwhile, his son, who is this loving shy being suddenly has the mantle of his father to assume and starts screaming at people and ordering everyone around and going crazy because, of course, there's also been no space for grief. Everyone is just plunged into the cataclysm of this mighty hero is gone. And kind of fittingly for America, the world's policeman, uh, Handel has an incredible chorus which announces that the world's avenger is no more. All fear of punishment now is gone. Tyrants all over the world can step on the throats of slaves because the power that would prevent them is gone. The world's avenger is no more. It's a powerful chorus to hear in this time in our country. And then Dejanira cannot forgive herself because the very hands that were rubbing in what she thought was a love potion. Or did she? Well, again, if I may, uh, uh, Wendy, this is where the artistry of the stage comes into play. I mean, that's what I try and leave for everyone to decide. And Handles music goes very far.
1: You never know whether... She talks about using this, this drug to inflame his love. <clears throat> she right. uses a metaphor of fire. And then later on, she figures it out. And um, in Sophocles, Hylas blames her for killing his father and drives her to suicide. And then when he decides that she in fact was innocent, that she didn't know what it was, he then blames himself for killing his mother, so you can see a it's a of lot of misery. blame
2: culture in yeah. this family. You know, on
1: uh, and on and on. And it's like a chain reaction. They've all done things to each other, and you
2: watch people it's- truly suffering from blame, mm-hmm. self-blame, and blame. You mm-hmm. you just watch the a group of people who don't function well because of their mm-hmm. genuinely low, mm-hmm. deep self hatred. It's painful, and Handel sets it so powerfully. Dejanira has a mad scene, you know, but not in the tradition of operatic mad scenes. I mean, Handel, across his life, <laughs> hospitalized himself three times for mental illness. And he frequently wrote music that, for benefits for the first mental hospitals. And, of course, he supported prison reform and, of course, the orphanages, all his life, he was concerned with people who were suffering, with people who were weak, with people who were fragile, with not the power people, but people whose mental instability and lifetime of suffering had left scars. And those are the people he writes music for, so overwhelmingly, is this mental fragility, this idea that your mind will not let you rest. And she describes there's not one moment of peace for her troubled mind. And she will not forgive herself. And,
1: and Iole has this beautiful aria. Well, uh, may In I say one sugar, word before okay. you
2: say that? Which is just, and that's where Sophocles leaves her and she commits suicide.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And the shock is that Handel will not allow that. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, he, he turns it around at that that moment um, amazingly and has Iola sing this beautiful aria in which she says my heart goes out to you she doesn't blame her at all she sees woman to woman what's going on and how she made the mistake she made and from then on there's reconciliation my, and there's my, forgiveness
2: my breast with tender pity swells
1: mm.
2: and she says, I forgive you, and you can forgive yourself. Mm-hmm. And she's brought and welcomed into a community. And Instead she of agrees being agrees to marry enslaved.
1: Hylas, whom she had previously rejected, then she says, yes, I'll marry you, and that will make that wound heal as well. What's um,
2: interesting about...
1: None of this is in any of the earlier
2: versions. Right? Yes, and what I would just say, what, what the 18th century added to, um, to Sophocles... Is I really do believe the English oratorio was invented to prepare democracy and to prepare the foundation of the United States of America. (laughs) That is to say uh, it was the generation of the 1730s and 40s and 50s. The English oratorio was invented as a way to say if there would be democracy, because there was not, what would public discourse be? We need to Create a tradition of people speaking from their highest selves not their lowest selves their finest and highest ideas because democracy if selfishness prevails and people are speaking from their lowest selves and we all know we have those if it's your lowest self operating, democracy doesn't have a chance democracy only works if it's your highest self going into it And I do believe that Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin could have heard this piece when they were young. And it is the beginning, this Handel tradition, is the beginning of what Thomas Jefferson would call Declaration of Independence. If you're going to be free, you must declare it. You must learn how to declare it and declare it powerfully. And so what Handel does that Sophocles would never have dreamt of in Sophocles, the prisoner of war arrives and never says a word the entire time. Iola this other woman. In Handel, she comes in, in chains, just like the Guantanamo prisoners, and she sings her first aria, Hailing Bright Liberty. There in the world of her captors, her first thing is to speak about liberty. And just like the Arab world now that needs our ideals to be real, and we're shocked that right now in the streets of all these Arab countries, they still believe in our ideals when we've forgotten what they mean, and they need them to be real. It's very moving to have the prisoner arriving in chains to our country saying, Hail the, lib- the goddess of liberty. And over and over again, as in every generation of America, and it's the greatness of this country, it's the immigrant and refugee who reminds us of our own values and says, I'm here because I need these values to be real. And Handel has her sing the most idealistic, visionary pieces all night long, while her captors are lost in their weird compromises and and obsessions. This woman arrives and says, but here, surely you don't have these problems. And she's hoping for everything else from this new country. And in fact, the evening ends with the refugee, the woman who came in chains, offering forgiveness. And this amazing gesture of healing, of generosity, of inclusion, and that again, the society itself takes a new step forward, because of our newest citizens, is a very powerful image that's not in Sophocles at all, and is very much in Handel. Mm. And Handel refuses to let this piece end as a tragedy with suicide and despair, and instead says, no, we're going to move forward. And we're also going to honor the fallen. And the final chorus is shocking. To them, your grateful notes be heard. And it's a chorus of gratitude to people who have served and suffered. And it includes the soldiers and the women who stayed behind. And it's a shocking image that is the 18th century. It's the age of enlightenment. It is this idea of we have to make a better society together. And this music rings out with that conviction, with that heartfelt joyousness and Handel, who really takes people through suffering like no other composer, because he knows what that suffering is, redeems everything at the end of the night in ways you do not think are possible. And it's the sheer power of the music that lifts it into a completely new domain and says, okay, these people should not remain outcasts. These people should not continue to suffer. We need to intervene. We need to intervene with love, with understanding, with recognition, with support, with gratitude, and probably with therapy, and probably with (laughs) a housing program, and probably really revamp the VA in a serious way. And that's one reason we're doing this now, here at the Lyric Opera, which is located in something called the Civic Theater. Because Greek tragedy was intended as a civic gesture. Sophocles would present the worst case scenario to say, let it, let's not let it go there. Let's intervene before that. Handel takes another proactive step and says the suffering is deeply unnecessary. And has to be treated and these people are still blaming themselves and he moves against this deep culture of blame with a music that pours in this generosity this tenderness this genuine milk of human kindness and uh, and the piece is just shocking because it takes you from these emotional extremes you see people behaving badly you see atrocity you see deep misunderstanding you see hurt you see vengeance and violence and terror and madness and somebody burning alive and then Handel says let's move beyond this
1: hmm. <laughs>
2: Thank you. (laughs) So we did the plot synopsis anyway.
1: (laughs) We can all go home now.
0: Um, Wow. Um, Wendy. (laughs) Who, who, me? (laughs) In the various sources that you've been consulting... Um, what have you learned about Hercules and his relationships with women? Because as you said earlier, this opera really should be called Dejanera Dejanera and Annihly Anni- 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 because it is so much about them. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what sort of relationships had he had with women? Was he completely dysfunctional?
1: He was it- pretty dysfunctional. Um, he started, well, his name means, you know, fame of Hera, which is an irony because Hera tried to kill him even before he was born, and Deianira's uh, f- name means "killer of men." So uh, you, you realize he's in a lot of trouble on both sides. <laughs> um, when he was being born, Zeus seduced his mother, and Hera was so jealous that she had um, the goddess of childbirth sit with her legs crossed so that the baby could not come out. That's it's Heracles, trying to come out. And um, his mother was in agony for weeks and weeks and weeks until someone finally tricked the goddess of childbirth to let him... So that's how he starts life. Um, Hera plagues him. He's married earlier. She drives him crazy so that he kills his wife and his children. So that's, he brings that into the marriage. And then there's a wonderful scene where he comes to a fork in the road, and on one side is virtue, arete, and on the other is vice and lust, kakia. And he chooses between them, he has to, and he chooses virtue and therefore chooses against Aphrodite. It's like the judgment of Paris in a way. So he's chosen against the female, in a sense. He's chosen the life of war, the arete. Now, when do
2: you know that Handel set that? Yes that this choice Handel set to music when he was a kid in Rome uh, in the first decade of of the 18th century. So that was like Handel wrote that oratorio when he was 17. The The choice of Hercules. It's it's a wonderful
1: The choice of Hercules. So all of that is in his background. So he's obviously a man who has had trouble from women all his life, including even before it. So I see this, and in the end, the great irony is that this great macho guy, as, as it's said in Handel, as it is in Sophocles, is brought down by a woman. And she is described as man-like because in Sophocles, she kills herself with a sword, which is the way a man would kill himself. And he says, I'm like a woman in my pain, in my crying out, and so forth, so He's on, and, and the great the Handel aria is how this great guy who f- killed and killed and killed, none of those people could kill him. The the, the labors of of uh, Hercules, none of those monsters could kill him, but a woman killed him. And the other way that he's killed, which is I think really part of, of, of Peter's scenario as well, is that the Centornessus, right in a sense, when he forgives Dayanera and says, she didn't kill me, it was really the centaur that killed me. And there had been a prophecy that he would be killed by somebody dead. And he says, the prophecy has come true because the dead centaur killed me. And I think that plays very much into your scenario, which is the way that the dead kill the living and that the past kills the present and that these this ancient, ancient quarrel that he had um, comes back and that um, Hera finally, in fact, gets her will and has him brought down by a woman rather than by a man. That's the ultimate triumph of the female half that he denied by choosing the Athena in, the, in the, the, the virtue, the male achievement rather than family, right? We have the beginning of this aria, he never sees his family. I see that as the woman's vengeance against um, Hercules in, in the opera. And Even would you
2: say it. a word about Ovid? Because mm. Ovid is also in the mix of Handel. Yes. I mean, partially the Handel is based on <clears throat> Sophocles, but partially it's based on Ovid, and that's a really tricky combination. It's
1: based on Ovid in several ways. First of all, he's innocent in Ovid as he is in Handel. Um, she's wrong... To uh, suspect him, and at that point you get into Othello, you get into A Winter's Tale, you get into someone who's wrongly jealous, who destroys herself. Our Act case. One
2: ends with mm-hmm. one of Handel's most tremendous choruses, the, the famous Jealousy. Jealousy Chorus, which actually quotes Shakespeare's Othello. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's like a handkerchief floating in the air mm-hmm. as Handel says, "Sends, sends uh, 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 trifles light as air," which, of mm-hmm. course, is those are the words right out of Othello. Mm-hmm. So that's so, how, that's where Act. So, so one that ends.
1: comes there. And in Ovid, the villain of the piece is something called fama in Latin, which means rumor and ill report. It's defined in the text as fama that mixes a little bit of truth with a lot of lies and and, and misleads us. So the wrong report, and if you read the Handel scenario, report um, becomes fame. Fama becomes fame in in the Enlightenment, and so um, when De Janeiro is speaking to Ily, she says the fame of your beauty reached him and that's why he, he 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 killed your father and so forth. And the fame and and then the irony of the death, the shameful death of Heracles is uh, Hercules, is that the fame will go the world the word would go out that he was killed by a woman in this disgraceful manner and so forth. And so really the, like the of,
2: death of Mao or Lenin or anything. Mm-hmm. Immediately it has to be hushed up.
1: That's right. They, they say, Don't
2: let anyone know Hercules is dead. Nobody can ever hear this. Nobody can. The immediate, the first thing that happens is say, we can't tell anybody.
1: Don't let the fame of this go to his enemies. Don't let his enemies hear. So the the fama, the the ill report, the the rumor, the words that circulate um, are in some ways the villain of the piece here. As and that's what he gets from Ovid, the 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 evil uh, role that. Um, reputation, caring for reputation, caring for what people hear say about you, and also the way the bad news travels fast, and that the way that Dejanera is ashamed—that uh, he, well, Hercules also—Hercules a lot. Hercules so, Her- is also famous for having seduced fifty maidens in a single night and impregnated all of them with sons. <laughs> so he has a bad track record. <laughs>
2: Or an impressive one, whatever, yeah you know uh, uh, but uh, but you know uh, the, 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 for me the the other thing that's interesting in Handel's music is that you feel Hercules himself is confused you you know it's not just bad motives, you know something that seemed like a good idea in Baghdad doesn't mm-hmm. seem like such a good idea, you know back in detroit, you know mm-hmm. it's just it, it things are. The worlds are not meeting, and the worlds are so far apart, and you feel him not at ease anywhere. And I think that's one of the most uh, haunting parts of Handel's music is Handel, for example, has Hercules enter with trumpets and drums, and then, as the uh, orchestra contractor can tell you, the trumpet players can leave for the evening after 40 minutes, <laughs> because they never come back and the next time instead of trumpets it's oboes like ducks quacking and it's like the weird martial music has transformed into mocking empty gestures that no longer feel heroic that feel like an empty joke and it sickens Hercules to read the articles about himself in the newspaper because he doesn't feel proud of what he did and in fact There's an incredible centerpiece of his aria where he says, and a new generation is going to emulate my deeds. And at first he says that very proudly and then he's sickened by it because he knows that what he did was not admirable and he wouldn't want anyone else to go through the bloody stuff that he's gone through. And And yet...
1: Bringing the war home in some way.
2: Exactly. And so you get his own really the sense that every time he sees a support the troops bumper sticker, it disgusts him. Mm. You know, he feels it as an empty gesture, and at the same time, none of this makes sense. And you get his rage, you get his sense of not fitting in any world, you get his sense of always doing someone else's bidding, you know, so The only reason
1: that he stays away all the time is because he can't come home, right? right. And this idea of the danger of the homecoming was already old right. in Sophocles' time. You have it in the Odyssey. Odysseus worried about what he's going to find when he gets there. You have it in the Aristia um, Agamemnon rightly <laughs> worried about what he's going to find when he gets there. All of these warriors. And Menelaus, what did he get? He, he got Helen? Thanks a lot. Um, um, they're all worried about the nostos, the homecoming, partly because it's supposed to be so wonderful. Oh, if only we can get home. Oh, only to be back with the family. And at the same time, from the earliest records that we have in, in Greek literature, the homecoming is scary, Um, it's something you cut off. You don't, yeah, and Odysseus took a long time to get home too. You know, you, you don't, you don't rush home. Right. It's always because the world has changed. Um, Martin Gare, um, the wonderful Natalie Zeman Davis book about the, the return of Martin Gare. Another man has taken his place, but everybody says he wouldn't look like himself anyway. Because he's been in this terrible war. He won't be himself when he comes home. How do we know which is the real one? That's another terrible homecoming. And
2: right now, even in the age of Internet, you know, the, the U.S. Army constantly, you never know when somebody's coming home. You know, the flight is canceled, then it's a week later, then suddenly they're back in. Then, you know, and as mm-hmm. we have now with these multiple tours of duty, where soldiers are really, really hurting in ways that are new because never in history have there been these extended tours of duty, over and over again, with very little time in between, Mm. particularly the National Guard people, whose lives are collapsing because they can't plan for anything in their life, because they're called back constantly, constantly, Mm. constantly. So we're in that, the uncertainty of the whole thing is truly unbearable.
1: That's old, too. In America, there's a great film called The Best Years of Our Lives... With Frederick March and Dana Andrews, right. these three guys that come and, the, and that wonderful um, actual soldier from World War II who had lost his hands, who acted in the in the movie, with with paraplegic um, no, artificial hands. And it's about how hard it was to come home. And And I think... That was World War II. It was already
2: bad. Already. It was
1: bad in Troy. It was always bad.
2: And, of course, in America now, in the last 50 years, I mean, World War II people were welcomed home with a sense that they had done something.
1: Yeah, but they didn't get jobs.
2: Right. Now it's Mm -hmm. more extreme, Mm -hmm. the no jobs. And also, for the last 50 years, America has not agreed about most of its wars. And therefore most soldiers can't come home feeling proud and the American public has confused two things which is the soldiers who fought the war and the politicians who invented them Mm. and if you have an issue with the war address the politicians but not the soldiers who are being shot at and blown up and doing a job they were hired to do and were not asked whether they wanted to do it and so we have this 50 year period where soldiers have never been welcomed home wholeheartedly but always come home with a terrible feeling and nowadays talking to a lot of veterans most soldiers will not put it on their resume because it's assumed by human resources people that they're damaged goods you know and and so you get people hiding their service you know and truly ashamed and so the the complications of coming home are so <clears throat> intense in our period right now And, of course, what families go through, because, as you know, on military bases, you know, the family, you're just moved to that military base. You don't know people around you. You don't have people to turn to. And so the wives and the kids are over and over again without a support system, without close friends, without people you really know. And so on the bases, just waiting for news, which then changes every day, all of the ups and downs are are truly unbearable and push people over the edge. And so the suicide rates that we know about are about servicemen. What they are not talking about are the families. And what they're not talking about is veterans. I don't think it's no, it's not news to people in this room that one-third of the homeless people in the streets of Chicago are veterans. And from broken, broken homes and broken relationships, and you ask some veterans what they got from the Army, and they will say a divorce. And and this play, this opera, is situated right in the heart of that crisis.
1: But it's so upbeat in its ending. Well, again, what can we take? I think
2: it's meant to be genuinely healing. Mm -hmm. I mean, Handel is somebody who believed in healing, and he wrote music of healing. And in Orlando, in in piece after piece, Mm -hmm. Handel in the last act intervenes with music of healing. He shows you the despair. He shows you the crisis. He shows you people not being able to live with each other, but more important in Handel's music, people not able to live with themselves. And he he's written the music for that.
1: But, the, but also what makes the healing possible in the Handel play is uh, Zeus, Jove, right? There's a uh, the fact that Hercules dies in agony is then uh, transformed into a moment of deification, beatification you know what,
2: that's not in this version Um, Uh, 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 uh,
1: it doesn't happen here?
2: it so doesn't happen here Uh, uh, you know, just like the old Penn Station we've lowered the ceilings considerably Uh, 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 that that high altitude moment is gone Um, no, but what I would what I would say is, is Handel is is using a gesture where I think it's the people who have to do it. And I think that's one of the most powerful things that Handel has done, is what would normally be a deus ex machina, you know, is actually handled by a courageous woman who is mm-hmm. actually was brought from a foreign land, but she now lives here. And that's powerful gesture at the end it's not a goddess out of the sky mm-hmm. you know it's a woman who came on a plane and and that's very powerful I think and that I think that's where Handel really is trying to go may I ask you Wendy just one thing since you're here and I mean how often you get to be with this awesome being um Would you just talk about a few Hindu connections? Because, you know, we keep saying Greek, Greek, Greek. And I, I love Greece, and it's why there are Greek columns in front of the post office. You know, I, it's all wonderful. But just not everything on earth is Greek. And, in fact, the Greeks weren't exactly Greek because a lot of Greek mythology actually comes from Africa and India. And and all this stuff really belongs to the world in larger ways. Would you just say a word about a few of the images, the women with snakes, the the firewoman, some of the images that are impregnated into this material that are so charged? And our Greek, and we're so proud of our Greek heritage, but our Greek heritage really is, as we're learning in America, much wider than that.
1: Well, certainly the... The tale of a terrible war and its aftermath is shared by Greeks and Indians, and uh, there's the great Indian epic of the war, the Mahabharata, which has a fabulous book called The Book of the Women right right after the battle, uh, which again acknowledges who it is who suffers, who it is who gathers up the bodies of of their children, the mothers, the mothers who gather up the bodies of their sons from the battlefield. So that's shared, certainly, across across the Indo-European cultures, and it's shared in a great poem, as it is in, in the Homeric poems. Um, and there are, in India, as there are in Greece, later plays and poems that derive from this, that, that take these moments right. up in various ways. Um, but there's also, um, in India, the image of, the woman made of fire, the woman made of snake, um, the scary, terrifying, um, monstrous woman, which is a real mythological image that dominates later Hinduism in some ways right. um, at the same time you also get the the image of the the healing mother, right. the the loving mother, and so forth, so you get a lot of uh, very complex and Um, powerful um, uh, female imagery in in all of the Indian poems and Indian religions, Um, you also uh, get, you can't take the ceiling down in India the way you do (laughs) in Greece. Um, the, the, The deus ex machina, the presence of the gods, the blaming of the gods, the gods who are flawed, the gods who are not omnipotent, who are not all wise, Um, can I give you an
2: image mm -hmm. Uh, this is we open our second act Handel wrote three acts we've arranged the piece in two acts and we open with from celestial seats descending gods their pleasures a while suspending descend to earth to taste human love because the god's love is really boring Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and (laughs) the god's know that human beings have something they don't have I mean the Buddhist tradition of course is that to be in the realm of the gods is to just be in the realm of conspicuous consumption you have the world's highest mm-hmm. standard of living and highest standard of people in therapy and and the gods have nothing to do all day and in, in the Buddhist uh, you know cosmology it's the humans who have the chance for greatness for transformation for healing for Everything that is courageous, the gods don't have to be courageous. And they envy the humans because they don't have courage and they don't have love. The gods have no courage and no love.
1: Yeah, the Hindu gods also prefer human women as their bed partners to divine <laughs> women. And there's even a story explaining how the goddesses are cursed that they can never have children so the gods have got to come down on earth to, to produce their offspring. And there's even, uh, there are famous stories, but one in particular, of a woman who is so beautiful that the gods fall in love with her and they take the form of the man she loves. She's in love with a human man. <clears throat> and the gods look just like him. And they stand, she's got five of them, the real guy and four gods, and she has to choose which one, and she wants the human one. What she does not want is the God wow. who is immortal and all-powerful she wants. And the way you can tell the difference, if you look carefully, if you're ever in this situation where you have to choose between your husband and a God who looks exactly like him, is that unlike um, humans, the gods do not sweat, they do not blink. The, their feet are not quite on the ground. Um, and in other words, she wants the guy that, that sweats and that, that has flaws. And um, the culture as a whole, this story is known in, in Greek as well as in, in the idea that you don't want to marry a god, that what you value in human life is its frailty, its brief expanse, and and there's a rejection of, right. of that superpower and that perfection when it comes to love.
2: And of course Handel takes that image of the gods leaving heaven to descend to earth for Hylas to mm-hmm. sing to Aole mm-hmm. to say you come as a refugee to my country but for me you're a goddess mm-hmm. who left heaven mm-hmm. to join us here on earth. So it's the most poetic way to welcome a refugee. Mm-hmm and to say you You're come the, from another world you
0: come from this other world mm-hmm. you've stepped into my life mm-hmm. to taste love human love mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure that we said a word about the chorus which is so essential in this piece as they are in all Handel oratorios and how they function and we have some of the most beautiful chorus members right here in this room
2: thank you, thank you, thank
0: you <laughs> astounding, beautiful women hello
1: um, laughter
0: because um, they, are, they are so incredibly dominant in the Sophocles play. We hear so much from them. How does their function in the um, opera slash oratorio differ from uh, what Sophocles does with them?
2: Well, I think Handel's and his collaborators believe deeply in what Sophocles was doing, which is the Greek theater, you know, was invented as a way to maintain democracy. It was understood that the Senate would be corrupted by money immediately. And that in the Senate, there are extremely low standards about what gets said. And there needed to be a place where there was a higher level of conversation and you hired great poets to write. And in the Greek Republic, um, of course, only men could vote. Only men could speak in the Senate. And the theater... Oh, and so if you were a woman a slave, a foreigner, you could not vote, you could not speak. The theater, the name of almost every Greek play is the name of a woman, a slave, a foreigner, a child or a soldier. All the people who had no voice in the Senate. And if you were a citizen and voted, you had to attend the theater. It was mandatory and the city council of Athens would pay for your ticket if you couldn't afford it. But every voter needed to hear what the theater had to say because the Greeks knew that an uninformed voter is worse than a tyranny. And to keep democracy alive, you had to not just listen to what the money was saying. You had to listen to what these people who had no microphone were saying, which is why the Greek theater was designed as a listening space, a giant ear carved into the side of a mountain. And as you know, when you've been to those Greek amphitheaters, they are acoustical spaces. It's not about what it looks like, it's what it sounds like. The voice of one person reaches 5,000, and that's the number of citizens in Athens. And so the chorus was meant to have a conversation with the main protagonist. And the chorus was made up of actual citizens who volunteered and served and said what any citizen would would want to say to the refugee who you just are too nervous to talk to while you're waiting at 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 the subway stop. You're standing next to somebody who clearly comes from Africa, but you don't know how to start a conversation. And in the theater, a chorus of citizens said, where do you come from? Tell us what it was like. Tell us what you're doing here. All the things you would want to know from someone. And the chorus's function is always to reflect on that and ask those questions. And then they're given these incredible poetic flights to go up to this height, again, I think, as I said earlier, of your best self. And Handel took that very seriously. And the chorus represents all of us. It's a group of citizens who are engaged, who say, oh, my God, what does that make me think? Or when somebody's really uncertain goes in and says, please go ahead and be strong. Well, let me give you the actual words of the first chorus when Hylas Is going to try and go to the ends of the earth to find his father Mm -hmm. when they still don't know if he's alive. He tells his mother, I will go to the northern streams which are congealed, that is, the ice fields of the North Pole, or to the burning Libyan sands. Not inappropriate this week. (laughs) (laughs) And he's panicked. And the chorus says, O filial piety, go inspired youth. Go. Go youth inspired. Go youth inspired. Thy virtue prove. Now, that's what most people forgot to say to their teenager. <laughs> is you have a teenager who's not behaving correctly and is a bit freaked out, and to say, go, youth-inspired. Go. Go, youth-inspired. Thy virtue prove. We trust you. Go. These choruses are so moving. When we're in the middle of jealousy, the chorus comes right out and names it. Just calls it out, jealousy! (laughs) Tyrant of the human breast. Not some human breasts. All human breasts. Do you ever recover from jealousy? No. You can be aware of it. Know it's operating in you. Try and extirpate it. Infernal pest, as the chorus sings. But we all have it burning in us. We never get over it. It's in there. It's what it means to be human. It's the tyrant of every human breast. And Handel is at his best writing the soundtrack to the part of your life you're least proud of.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's burning in there. And then, of course... But when they
1: celebrate at the end. Well,
2: and, so and then good. I was going to say, and then, of course... Mm-hmm. When it's time for the community to come together and really lift, because Handel knows that nobody heals alone. you cannot recover alone. The path to recovery is with other people, and you know that's in aA it's you know it's just basically if you're going to recover, you need a community. and so the art of peace, the art of recovery. The art of transformation are the arts of community. And so Handel uses the chorus as the community coming together to welcome the outcasts and to begin the process of healing and to be where the joy resides. And the joy resides not with the individuals but with the community. The individuals feel trapped and alone, and the last part of the piece, everybody has their suffering and their freak out alone. Because as Handel knows, nobody can help you die. At the end of the day, you're going there alone. And you're with the person, when you're with the person who's dying, you don't know how to speak to them, you only have your own feelings. And so that aloneness is so present Because Handel sets these arias where one person sings at a time. The first duet occurs ten minutes before the end of the night. Otherwise, the form of the piece all night long is solo aria, solo aria. People alone with their emotions, their fears, their projections, not knowing the truth and testing everything. And that's why Handel's arias are so long. Because every aria... A 10-minute aria is two sentences repeated 25 times because, like anything that drives you crazy, did she mean that? Now, wait a minute. Did she mean that? Did she mean that? You go through this, and like something your mind will not let go of, you go through it a 100 times, every time with a different inflection, that's Handel, because he knows how the human mind works. He knows how the human heart works. Is You don't say, okay, I'm going to leave that alone. As soon as you say, I'm going to leave that alone, you obsess on it, and you, it goes around and around and around and around. And the other thing, while we're just speaking of the formal quality of Handel, he writes in something called the da Capo Aria, which is you state something, usually quite frequently, over and over and over again, and that's called the A section. Then you have a contrasting section, like maybe I'm wrong. And then all the first material repeats all over again, but feels different. Like I, the example I give, for example, from Handel's Julio Caesar is, you know, Henry Kissinger saying we are not bombing Cambodia. Then the B section is, of course, we're bombing Cambodia, and then the return of the A section is, I repeat, we're not bombing Cambodia. You know it's that inside everything is another truth. And so that creates a kind of tension, this circular form, is people are frequently, well the other example I give is Chekhov, is to Moscow, to Moscow, to Moscow. then the B section, we're not going to Moscow, and then to Moscow, to Moscow, to Moscow. It actually, most of our lives, we tell ourselves, today is the day I'm going to change my life. <laughs> and then tomorrow comes a lot like today came. <laughs> and, and the central stasis, but it feels different the second time, which is Handel's genius, because he invites the singers to make up all kinds of ornamentation. So we return to a place we've already been And it feels familiar, but we also feel this tension of still wanting to move on. And so the second time we come to the material, we feel differently about it, which is Handel's particular genius. He catches people trapped, but who yearn to move forward. And it's what makes the human struggle so powerful in Handel. So those are the musical shapes.
1: I wanted to say something about the chorus. Yes. Um, which I think, just to add to what you say, I entirely agree, but in this particular play, for the chorus at the end to do all the work of reconciliation that Peter's speaking of, is particularly wonderful because the idea of what people in general think has been so destructive throughout the play until now, throughout the whole opera. They're going to think that what we mustn't, as you said, we, we mustn't let them think that Hercules was killed by a woman. We mustn't let them think uh, um, Dayanero was worried about. They'll think that my husband's unfaithful to me. This concern for an unnamed fama, this this bad report, this concern for what people think. And when you actually see the people at the end, the chorus, they're on your side. Right. They didn't think any of those things. They They think it's a shame that Hercules is dead, and they hope that you're going to be all right now. And mm-hmm. So it's as if that was one of the madnesses of of the play. In addition to the individual madness, there there was the madness of this imagined community which is going to destroy you, which in fact doesn't destroy you.
2: It's one of the most amazing things somebody said to me yesterday. It's like a huge storm. And then the morning after,
1: Hmm.
2: when it's calm. And you can't possibly imagine those two states in the same world. During the storm, you're just sure that this is just a disaster. And then it changes. It's fine. The waters calm down. The sun returns. We're okay. And it's this incredible way in which when you're in that mental turmoil of the storm, you just Mm. think everything's wrong.
1: It's amazing that Handel could turn it around like that. When I first read the Handel scenario after reading the the Sophocles, it reminded me of the film Never on Sunday with Melina Mercury where she retells the Greek tragedies. And in the end, Medea didn't kill the children. They all went went to the the seashore. Everybody goes to the seashore. (laughs) Um, That he should pick a play which even among all the Greek tragedies is one of the darkest And has one of the most dark endings, and to turn that around is really to say something about rewriting history, rewriting the image of what the human being is. It's 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 really chutzpah in a way that. And if I could just
2: say, because I'm so patriotic, um, it's what America brought into the world is the idea that there isn't just a sad ending, and that you know when Thomas Jefferson said, "Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness." He meant that deeply. And this piece is from the generation Mm. that raised Thomas Jefferson. I believe that. Where life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is why we're here. And therefore, it is unacceptable to end with this senseless Mm. tragedy. And everybody needs to be turned around, to be welcomed, to be forgiven, to be
0: honored, and to be taken care of. And on that positive
1: note,
0: we've gone wildly over our time. Thank you so much, Peter Sellers' Wendy Doniger. You've been listening to Backstage at Lyric, the podcast that takes you behind the curtain at Lyric Opera of Chicago. For additional interactive content and to order tickets, visit us online at lyricopera.org.